That's really fun. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the uh, lead pastors here at Soul City. We're so glad that you're here. Those who are gathered here in this room and who are in our overflow space. And uh, really, really glad that you're here to hear Jamie and to be a part of what we're going to do today. Uh, we've known each other for a while now, but kind of tangentially, sort of. It wasn't until re- we've had lots of mutual friends. And it wasn't until the last couple of years where we decided to cut out the middleman and actually be friends with each other <laughs> instead of having to go through all of our other friends. Um, and so we've known of each other for a little less than a decade, but we've really kind of gotten to know each other over the last couple years. Is that, a, is that story hold? Is that true, Jamie? The, where we met, the okay. moment we really met is the best place to start. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so I was in, in Chicago. It's a tiny name drop, but forgive me. So I, I was uh, staying with Kyle Corver, who was a Chicago Bull, who's no longer a Chicago uh, Bull, which have to say is that. sad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but I was getting to know Kyle, and Kyle said, hey, I'm going to have coffee with my pastor. You should come. And I thought, wow, that's a really great invitation. And so we made our way to this coffee shop and met Jarrett, and we ordered coffee. And I thought the three of us would sit together and drink the coffee and talk. And then they made it clear that I would sit at another table <laughs> while they honored their commitment to the one-on-one meeting. Um, So, look, when I said yes to coffee with Kyle, I didn't, you weren't in the picture. I didn't know. I never was in the picture. No. And then even at the coffee shop, you weren't in the picture. No. So that, that actually is really uncomfortably and awkwardly true. So Kyle and I had about an hour or so conversation, and 10 feet away from us was Jamie pretending to be working. I don't think your laptop was turned on. You were just... Yeah. Just really you probably wrote, this is when you wrote, if you feel too much, <laughs> was while you were sitting 10 feet away from So the, the silver lining is, if you get coffee with Jared, he will honor the I one. W- you and I will have. It will be one-on-one. No one else no is one welcome. No one else. That's right. That's right. Well, it's, it's been fun, Jimmy, to get to, to know you more and to, and to have you here. This is really fun. You visited Soul City when you were in Chicago once before, but to have you this weekend as we conclude our voices Series, thank you for doing this. This is really, really fun to have you here. We're going to talk over the next few moments about uh, real things, as we should when you are at church. We should have the ability to be real and um, to be unmasked. And so we're going to talk about hurt, and we're going to talk about pain and, and, and um, depression and those kinds of things. And we're going to talk about hope and healing. Um, but before we get into any of that, why don't you give us a little sense of your story, who you are? You know, for those who may not have ever heard of you or know anything about your organization. Um, tell us a little bit about just about you. Where'd you grow up? Kind of family. And I know faith has been a part of your story most of your life. So you want to just yeah. talk about that a little bit? I grew up in, in Florida, which I know in January and February sounds very really wonderful. attractive mm-hmm. to you guys. Uh, grew up in Florida. Grew up a surfer. Uh, my dad owned a surf shop when I was born. Awesome. So I, I really fell in love with that. In Florida, we consider it a sport. I don't know how you guys feel about it here. Yeah. Um, and I grew up super loved. I mean, that's the thing that comes to mind the most is just I had a really happy childhood and, and felt incredibly cared for by my parents. I grew up in, in church. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I, I felt like a little bit on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, the Christian subculture and the idea of sort of jumping into this Christian bubble never appealed to me. So I, I kind of felt kind of this tension even at an early age and uh, in probably around junior high, decided I wanted to work in the surf industry, which mm. I don't know any 12-year-olds who say this, but if you would have asked me then, I would have said, I want to be a surf industry sales representative. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, because I, I, in high school, I wanted to be a surfer, <laughs> but not in a, a middle management in the surfing industry. Yeah, yeah. But that was your middle school dream. I was dream. a special kid. Okay, well, you had a, a very specific vision for your life. Okay, good. So that, so that was part of who you were growing up and wanted to be part of that culture, still are a part of that culture. So that was you growing up. And you grew up, like you said, growing in church, and faith was always kind of there, but never quite felt... Well, the faith felt good, um, just certain things about uh, Christian radio and Christian everything else was, was unusual to me. Quite, yeah. yeah. So, uh, which is interesting, because we'll get to the organization in a, in a moment that you started, which is not a faith-based organization, but that is at the center of who you are. So I think that's a reflection even of some of that stuff early on um, that you experienced. So, okay, so you grow up and pretty, like, pretty good life, you know, uh, loved uh, uh, by your parents. And then you're in Florida, and this is where we first actually met um, was uh, through a mutual, another mutual friend um, that you knew at the time, a friend of ours named Josh in Orlando. And while you, can you talk a little bit about when you were there in that season and when you met Renee and kind of the, what began the idea of to write love in her arms? And we're going to get to in a moment what Jamie's organization does, but it really started with a story. I mean, really it started with your story out of who you are, but then when you met Renee and when you were with McKenna, I mean, there was, why don't you tell a little bit about Yeah, that? so back in 2006, there was no intention of starting a charity or a movement. It, it really grew out of a friendship and, and trying to meet a need present in that new friendship. And, and so I was renting a room from my friend David McKenna in Orlando. David's story was one of addiction and recovery. Uh, he had been in and out of treatment, and as I was getting to know him, he was in this really healthy season of recovery. Mm-hmm. Renee was a new friend to him, and their stories shared a lot of common ground. The difference was that she was still very much in the middle of a really painful season. And so as I got to know her and first met her, it was depression, drug addiction, a history of Mm self-injury. We found out later there had been suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. And she was denied entry into a local treatment center in Orlando, spent the next five days living in our living room. And we stayed up late five nights in a row just getting to know this girl, getting to know her story, some of the really hard parts of her story, mm-hmm. going back to when she was a little girl, and yet in the midst of that, the, the hope that, that things could look different. Mm-hmm. And she had grown up in church as well, so it wasn't, it wasn't this come to Jesus kind of thing. It was really more, hey, words like redemption and healing and sobriety, can I have them? Can I mm-hmm. hold on to them? Can they, sort of, can they stand up in this storm that yeah. I'm in the middle of? Yeah. And after the five days, she checked into treatment, and I sat down and wrote a story about the experience, a, a short story, called it To Write Love on Her Arms. And then we realized her treatment was going to cost money. Her family didn't have much money. And so I had the idea to print and sell some T-shirts, and yeah. the first place we sold them was, was at our church. Yeah. And so can you just for a moment speak to why that name, To Write Love on Her Arms? I mean, that, start, that was just a story that you wrote. No organization, no nonprofit, none of that. <laughs> but why, why that? Why that is the title? So the night I met her um, with a razor blade, I, don't, I won't say it because I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but, but she wrote uh, an F word across her forearm. And I've, I've said that in a lot of different places. And I, I like to remind people, I don't think it's about profanity. I think it was about identity. Mm-hmm. And so she, she wrote this word across mm-hmm. her arm with a razor blade that I think represented who she thought yeah, she, she was. And, yeah. and you know, it, it, I mentioned it in the news clip, but I think when she looked at her almost 20 years, that was what felt true. There wasn't a lot to be proud of. I think she felt so much regret, and, and so I think that's what was coming out in that moment. 
and if it was about identity, to write Love on Her Arms was really a goal. And it was the idea of replacing that and believing some things and being hopeful that she could get to a place where she believed that she was loved and that she deserved the chance to start over. Mm. So that idea of you, to, you, to write love over that, that she has known that she is loved, that this is possible and real for her. I mean, that's where it started for you. And I'll just hit pause real quick. Um, I mean, this is what Jamie would never tell you this. In fact, last gathering, we did, didn't even mention this. But there's actually a movie that's come out about Renee's story called... To Write Love on Her Arms. Which is a very fitting title. <laughs> but it's really... I mean, this is a major motion picture. It's, our friend Josh also was in the midst of this and working on this in lots of different ways of helping to get that out. And if you have not seen it, please, like, you can go download it. You can get it on iTunes today and watch it. Um, and they, I mean, nailed the actor that played you looks a lot like you, not as handsome as you. My sister had a crush on him growing up. So, so that made it so awkward and That's, weird. Yeah. Yeah. So awkward and weird. So you guys have a great week. And yeah, that's, we just leave, leave on that note. I don't want to feel that too much. Yeah. Uh, but it really is, it's a powerful and really creative and, and um, I- I- way of telling the story that you just told. And so you can, you can get that on iTunes. And I would encourage you. I mean, it's not, it's just a beautiful story. I mean, Renee's still a, a part of your life. I mean, so, but, but let's, before we get too far ahead, so you're, you are actually, your middle school dreams had come true. Yeah. You were working in middle management of a, at, at Hurley, at a surf company. I was, I, they hired me when I was 22, so I was pretty young to be given a pretty big job. And, yeah. and I was their sales rep for the state of Florida, which, which was what I thought, you know, it. going into it was my dream. You peaked at 22. Yeah, and, but I did. We didn't talk about it earlier, but I, I really started to wrestle with feeling like uh, I had put all my eggs in this basket, but it, it really wasn't a great fit. And I mm-hmm. felt like there were things moving around in me and things that I cared about that just didn't get to come out in my job. Yeah. So taking what you did, though, I mean, this kind of your own story and then working for a clothing company, making T-shirts, your response to help Renee get treatment um, was to make a t-shirt. And like I said, there, I happened to be speaking at this church that, and I remember coming out after speaking in the lobby and there's this line of people to buy this shirt. And I asked my friend Josh, I'm like, what's the deal? What, you know, it's the deal with the shirt. Well, it's, it's very interesting. It's a very cool design. And then notice on the back, you'd printed inside the shirt, the whole, the letter that you'd written about Renee called to write love in her arms. And I was so drawn. I wish I would have bought, I didn't buy a shirt that night, Jamie. I probably should have bought a We shirt. have them on the sidewalk. I'll have to go out afterwards. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but seeing something there at the very beginning, I mean, that was your response. I'll make t-shirts, we'll help. But clearly something more happened than just selling them in the lobby of a church. Can you kind of tell us what happened from there? Yeah. So really the, the moment we kind of took off, uh, the first box of those t-shirts showed up at a friend's concert. I had gotten to know the guys in the band Switchfoot years before, kind of through surfing and, and some common ground. I had shared with John Foreman, who's a hero of mine, who's one of my favorite people, John sings in, the, in that band, talked to him a little bit about Renee and, and the story that I had written and what we were gonna try to do to help. Still no concept of a, a charity or anything like that. And John said, man, this sounds great. Would it be okay if I wore this shirt tonight? And 2006 was a huge year for them. They, you know, they were about to play to 3,000 people. And he just puts on this shirt and mentioned it briefly in the middle of their set. And I went home not expecting a lot. We hadn't given out information or anything like that. And there were all these messages, comments, friend requests from people that had found their way to this MySpace page that I had created. Say that, say that again, please. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I, what was so that? So 2006 was, okay. Okay, context. Was, all right. 
the moment of MySpace. It was kind of really stop laughing. That was at it, me. though. That was it. that was its this moment. This is how yeah. I'm wired. So. That's right. He's feeling when you laugh. He feels. He gave me feedback after the first service, and I was devastated. Jamie, not yeah. true. No. Not true. Um, made a MySpace page. Yeah. And uh, and all these folks found their way to this page. We didn't give it out or anything like that. And people said, the story you wrote is my story. Mm. This is my dad. This is my girlfriend. This is mm. a neighbor. It's a classmate. We heard from people that had lost a loved one to suicide. We heard from people who were struggling with depression. Some people used that word. Other people didn't use that word. Right. Um, we heard from a lot of people saying, there's someone I care about. I want to help them, but I don't know how. And um, instantly realized we had stumbled upon a bigger thing. Yeah. So this t-shirt way of helping a friend, it started with one person, which I think is interesting. I just want to point out, you, the dream was not to start a nonprofit organization that would change the world, which is a noble and worthy thing. It was, I want to help my friend. It was very real and tangible. But then it, it kind of blows up and gets bigger, and now all of a sudden, people just sort of made it an organization. And so now you're like, oh man, we really, now we can actually help more people. Yeah. And so how did that feel? It was, it was scary. I mean, part yeah. of it was super exciting and yeah. surprising. You know, it was such an honor to read these messages. And some of it, there was the element of having to do the homework to be able to point people in good yeah. directions. I think if the story was the first thing we posted, the next thing we posted was essentially a find help section where people could, we could serve as some kind of bridge in the direction of counseling, treatment, support groups, crisis hotlines. Part of it was exciting, part of it was super overwhelming, and I ended up coming to this crossroads of deciding to quit my Hurley job. So this, what I thought was my dream come true, essentially handing that back and saying I have to go off in this other direction that was hard to explain, it was hard to predict, but it felt too special to walk away from, and it felt like being a part of a conversation that was really important, and in some ways was long overdue. And, and so I decided to, to roll the dice and, and move in that direction. So talk to us then a little bit about what To Write Love on Her Arms as an organization does. What's the work that, that you guys do? Like, you know, assuming, let's say, no one's ever heard of it before, sure. how would you describe it and the day in, day out of what you guys yeah. do? Yeah, I, I think it, it took some years for me to kind of get to a place of believing the primary thing we do is communicate. We've learned that two out of three people who struggle with depression, they never get help for it. Wow. And so if you sit with that for a second, that suggests that the majority of people who live in this place or live with this kind of pain, they essentially live alone and it points to the stigma. So it's not as simple as just funding treatment or counseling if two out of three people aren't taking that step. Yeah. And so we exist in this unique space to try to make that light bulb go off where people mm. realize, and, and not everyone in the room or any room needs professional help today, but the idea that I think everyone in the room deserves a community, deserves mm. honest relationships, deserves to feel like they can be honest about their pain, about their struggle, mm. um, that that's just part of being human and we shouldn't be alone in that. And, and that communication, that conversation plays out in so many different areas. Uh, a lot, it started online and it, MySpace has quieted down. A little bit. But yeah. it's, <laughs> social, social media is, is still vital, so we've been yeah. able to make the jump yeah. to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. our own website. 
we have a whole team that responds to messages that continue to come in, letters, so, emails. So someone hears about you guys and says, that's my story, and they'll email in or they'll send something in, and you have a staff, a team of how many folks? Yeah, that work there's the between staff and interns, there's 20 of us that work right. on this full time. And so they engage with folks and respond and help connect them. And a lot of it's even the examples I gave earlier. The, the messages we got the first night John wore the shirt yeah. are the same kinds of messages and questions yeah. and confessions that we get today. Yeah. And so we, I think, I, I love to sit with our interns and say, this will never be the busy work. This is the heart of what we do, yeah. is responding to real individuals. We've, we've responded to roughly 200,000 messages from 100 different countries. Wow. Um, so it's taught us these are not just American issues. Yeah. These are not, you know, these are issues that transcend faith and age and music and all, all these things. And, uh, and then we get to cover a lot of ground. I spend a lot of time on college campuses bringing this message to students. We go to places like the Warp Tour, different music festivals, music tours. Our shirts are sold in surprising places like Hot Topic, which is, is <laughs> probably the store in the mall least synonymous with hope. Yeah, well. Um, but true. we, there's been all, all these surprising moments and doors yeah. that have opened that we never could have guessed. Yeah. I mean, you know, the hot topic is, is we see the irony in that, the, the million dollars on national television, just yeah. things we couldn't even have dreamed up Ever. Yeah. where we get to go in and, and talk about things that people tend not to talk about. So, so give us an ex paint a picture. So someone, do you have like a story or a, or a kind of a, someone reaching out to you guys recently that you, like how do you engage, uh, just so people yeah. understand. Because honestly, I mean, that may be a response to today. Sure. Folks here may yeah. go, okay, I want help, and they're gonna turn to, totally. to your organization. I think the best moment I ever get to have, and, it, and it's happened a whole bunch of times, but it never gets old, is, is someone saying, I'm, I'm still alive because of the work that you guys do. And so that just has to stop you, and you go, <laughs> especially to start there, to start yeah. a conversation there. Yeah. And for people to unpack that, and a lot of times what they're getting at is, hey, I felt alone in my struggle, in my loss, in my depression, my addiction, and through what I read, through what I heard, through what I encountered, maybe it wasn't even us, maybe it was them reading comments and realizing that other people felt how they felt, yeah. and getting to a place of realizing, I don't have to keep this a secret, I don't have to live with all this shame, yeah. I can be honest and I can get help. And so I think that last one is, is really the biggest one when, yeah. it, when it comes to someone choosing to stay alive and choosing to get the help to do that yeah. and, and for maybe life to look different and to start over. And so that's one that always catches me off guard. We read it, we read it in emails and letters and I get to have those conversations face to face as well. So you guys really are, you're not trying to be sort of the hub where everyone comes to stay, but you're trying to connect them to help, professional help, or to hope through community, conversation, that kind of stuff. So really, you guys are serving almost as a conduit yeah. to help send people into their community, into next steps. There's, I think, an irony, because sometimes people refer to us as this thriving online community. And, and we sort of push back at that and say, we're not trying to create this yeah. online utopia. We're really pointing away from ourselves back into the places that people live. Yeah. And we say, we believe the solutions are gonna come there yeah. with someone sitting across from you face to face. Yeah. And, and it is you know, multifaceted, certainly professional help, counseling, treatment, but also friends. You know, yeah. The idea that does anybody know you? Yeah. Is there one person, are there a few people that you can unpack this stuff with and be real with and yeah. fall apart with and, and they through their presence, not just in theory, but get to live out this idea that you are not alone. They get yeah. to be a physical picture of that. Yeah. Well, and I know for you, Jamie, that like you'd mentioned, you grew up 
with faith, and that's a part of who you are. Your organization is not a faith-based organization, but that there's some fundamental kind of core beliefs in you that drive the work that you do. Is there sort of a guiding or biblical principle or idea that you've grown up with or that you are, have lived with in your faith that guides the work that you do? Yeah, I think I've never been able to escape that truth that there is a God who made me, who designed me to be in relationship, not only with him, but with other people as yeah. a picture of that, that I am made to be known and loved to be in relationships where that's exchanged and reciprocated. Um, and then also I think this, the honesty that you find in the Bible, the, the idea that it was okay to vent, it was okay yeah. to fall apart, it was okay to express deep pain. Yeah. And, and that flies in the face of this idea that some of us maybe grew up with, that being a Christian meant I have joy and I'm blessed and I'm happy and everything's okay. And, and yeah, we're just doing great. Yeah. And there was a tension there. And, and, and so I think I wanted to kind of live in that real tension with this idea that we can be honest about all of yeah. it. We can be honest with God and with each other, yeah. even about the most painful things in life. And um, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and mm. saves those who are crushed in spirit. Mm. And so to me, you, you sit with that and, and mm. that says, well, we're loved by a God who cares deeply about our pain. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you said that I feel like that is so often overlooked, you know, especially when people come to church, you know, that, that you, you would think like coming to a space like this, that this would be the safest space in your week and in your world for you to be real and to be who you are. But the truth is every one of us sort of pack, potentially pack those things down, you know, kind of you know, puts them away because when we come into a space like this, we feel like we have to put on a show or a, that we're okay. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I got this. I got this. As opposed to like reading the Bible and look at the characters who are a hot mess in the Bible. You know, and you mentioned the book of Psalms. I mean, to me, that's the soul of the Bible is the book of Psalms because it's David pouring his heart out. And in one verse, praising God and the other crying out to God and in the next asking God to smite his enemies. I mean, it's just, it's real totally. and that we could recapture that. What a gift that would be if all it ever was was just in this space. That level of honesty and vulnerability and uh, availability to each other. And then can you imagine what might happen if that left this space and into our world and our relationships? Um, I know for you, Jamie, that you know, this is a message that you've been working out, God's been working out in you over the last nine or so years. But I also know that it hit kind of a breaking point for you as you were, the organization is growing and growing and growing and there's all this eyes on you and you're on stages and you're all over the world, you're doing this stuff. And then, but there was a disconnect between sort of the message of the organization and the work of the organization in you. You wanna talk about that for yeah, a moment? I, I got to a place and I wouldn't say it was mostly because of work. I would actually say a lot of it was life. Um, so just, just pain, which we yeah. can all relate to. But I got to a place of realizing I was struggling and had struggled for some time with depression. And I got comfortable sitting or standing on a stage, microphone, lights, telling people everything we're talking about. Yeah. You're not alone. It's okay to be honest. You deserve to be able to ask for help. And I got comfortable saying that, but I hadn't taken that step in my own life. And I knew in theory that that was totally fine. It was totally normal. It was okay but it was still a step I had to take. And it was an intimidating step in a way yeah. to admit that I was hurting, I was struggling. And so for me, it looked like counseling. And you know, if you fast forward to now, it's been a few different seasons of counseling and, it, and it's been antidepressants. It's been yeah. medicine as well. 
And I, I share that all the time and it's never for pity, but I, I, it really comes from a place of gratitude that that those elements have brought stability, have helped mm. bring stability. And again, growing up, I thought if someone was hurting, you just needed to pray for them. And it was that simple. You pray, God shows up, he does, he heals them. And certainly, there's a, that's amazing. There's a yeah. place for that. But I've come to really treasure these, the idea that God gives us other people, not yeah. just friends, but professionals. God gives us tools, wisdom, medicine. And yeah. so those are steps I've been able to take in my own life. Yeah, so it became very personal for you, which I imagine even then changed some of the heart of the message because it's like, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm, it's me, I'm with you, yeah. you know, and that, and, and that really does come through and come out in the book, and I think, uh, you know, it's very brave, and I wish it didn't have to be so, to just say, yeah, me too, I'm, I, there's things that I wrestle with, there's depression, or there's anxiety, or whatever it is, and just to name those and put it out there, I think, gives a very real um, authenticity and authority even through your vulnerability, uh, to, you know, when you share this kind of stuff with others. Um, I, you know, I think, uh, I, I know for, for you, Jamie, that you deal with lots of different folks in lots of different places, lots of different seasons of hurting and where they're at, and, and, and you know, they come to your organization through lots of different ways. And I, I wonder if they're, like, I wonder what you would say to folks who are here today, I mean, that, you know, other than what you've just said, and I couldn't, I, just real quick, I couldn't agree more, because you said it very quickly, like, it just makes sense. You take the things that matter most to you to an expert. We've talked about this. You know, if you break an, your arm, it's like no one feels like you don't have to hide that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, that would be silly. And a total bummer. And a real bummer to just be like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh. You know, that would be not helpful, right? If your car breaks down, you take it to an expert. Uh, my finances, I entrust to an expert because I'm willing to admit I don't know how to do all of that. And so even what you just said very casually, I think is very important for people to get. And it's part of who we are as a, as a church. It's like, why wouldn't you then take the thing that matters most to someone who can help? Why wouldn't you take your heart or your soul or the pain or the part of your story that has defined you? It's not the whole of your story, but it has become so. Why wouldn't you take that to either someone who can help you professionally, like an expert? For me, that's been a counselor. I know for you, it's been a counselor. That's a part of our church. We actually have a list, and we've talked about this, of counselors that we've vetted, that we believe to do great work here in the city. And if you've never, ever done that before, but yet you're carrying this pain thinking that you have to like hide that or bear it on your own, like that today you would go, to, you can go right to our little concierge desk and get the list. And the next step is always on you, but I don't, it's kind of like a why, you know, this is possible, this is available to get help either professionally or through your community. And so I wonder what you would say to those of us who are in that spot, who are hurting or who are wrestling with or struggling with depression or, or carrying an addiction that we thought we had control over, but it's taken control over our lives. What would you offer as maybe hope or healing for those of us who are hurting right now today? I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And to unpack that a little bit, I was outside after the first service and met a whole bunch of folks who said, thank you. You know, some tears in their eyes. Will you sign a book for my son? You know, the story of my dad, my girlfriend, um, so many people where it was clear that this stuff was personal. And, and mm -hmm. so if that is you, you are not alone 
in this room, in this church, in this community. And that's, it's true everywhere we go, if, yeah. if we're honest, yeah. that this stuff is just part of this human experience that we keep waking up to, this reality that life is really hard and we will experience pain, loss, grief. We will cope in different ways, some of them good, some of them not good. Mm-hmm. And so as a place to start, you are not alone with your pain mm-hmm. and you don't have to fake it. As, as Jarrett said, you don't have to hide that, you don't have to push it down, you don't have to put on the right shirt and the right smile and pretend. But the opposite is, is what you deserve, the, the place to be honest, and, and maybe the places, the relationships, the conversations, where that gets to play out, where, where you get to see a picture and live a picture of not being alone with your hurt. And, and so that's, that's really what, what comes to mind. And, and I think it's gonna be all these things. If you're really hurting, it's gonna be it's gonna be meals with friends. It's gonna be time alone with the Lord. It's gonna be maybe walking in to that counseling office for the first time or maybe the sixth or seventh time and saying, I, I got some stuff I need to talk about. I'm, the past is really haunting me. There's a moment that I feel stuck in and I, I, I want life to look different. And I feel like I get to say that and be here on behalf of thousands of people whose lives don't suggest that any of it's easy, but, mm-hmm. but that it's worth it, yeah. that it's possible to change, to start over, to let go, to believe better things, that sobriety is possible, that, that rescue is possible, that hope mm. is real. Mm. And uh, there's something I would love. Yeah, I know last year there was a moment, I think that we felt, we've had a couple of these where someone that's widely recognized or known um, chooses to end their own life in whatever different way, either through the result of an addiction gone overboard or through taking their own life. And I know last summer there was a moment when all of us just stepped back when Robin Williams ended his life. And this is someone that you know people know and love all over the world. And I know that, that w- went to all kinds of deep places for people. And so you wrote a response out of that, and you'd asked if you could actually close today by reading that. And it's a beautiful piece, and it's actually in the book. So I have a copy right here if you'd like it. You can read it. It's a great book, by the way. Yeah, so as, as Jared said, I, this was really my response to that moment. And my guess is we all remember that night and, and kind of getting that news or reading that news. And I wanted to write something and I didn't want to speculate on the life or death of Robin Williams. I never met him. I didn't know him. I knew plenty of people would write those articles. I wanted instead to try to write something for people who maybe could relate to that kind of pain, to that sort of struggle with depression, and maybe to the point of thinking about giving up. And, and so this was what I wrote, and, and hopefully it can be an encouragement to you guys today. It's called There Is Still Some Time. If you feel too much, There's still a place for you here. If you feel too much, don't go. If this world is too painful, stop and rest. It's okay to stop and rest. If you need a break, it's okay to say you need a break. This life, it's not a contest, not a race, not a performance, not a thing that you win. It's okay to slow down. You are here for more than grades, more than a job, more than a promotion, more than keeping up, more than getting by. This life is not about status or opinion or appearance. You don't have to fake it. You do not have to fake it. Other people feel this way too. If your heart is broken, it's okay to say your heart is broken. If you feel stuck, it's okay to say you feel stuck. 
If you can't let go, it's okay to say you can't let go. You are not alone in these places. Other people feel how you feel. You are more than just your pain. You are more than wounds, more than drugs, more than death and silence. There is still some time to be surprised. There is still some time to ask for help. There is still some time to start again. And there is still some time for love to find you. It's not too late. You're not alone. It's okay. Whatever you need and however long it takes, it's okay. It's okay. If you feel too much, there's still a place for you here. If you feel too much, don't go. There is still some time. Thank you. Can we thank Jamie for being here today? You know, I hope, I hope, I know we're all, again, in all kinds of different spaces, the faith spectrum, the life stories, but I hope you heard even personally from Jamie and also from the work that uh, It's Right Love in Our Arms does, that that is true, regardless of the story, as real as it is, as painful as it may be, as hopeless as you may feel, that there actually is time, there's something you can do today, and this church really is built on that idea that we actually need God in our lives desperately, more than we realize. And we need each other desperately, more than we realize. You were never, ever, ever meant to walk through this life alone. And that maybe today the best next step for you is to just name to someone you know and love and trust, hey, this, you know, and just like, this is how I feel about this. Or I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but I, I, I don't want to carry this alone and to share it with them. And if you are someone who receives that, they're not looking for you to fix it or to offer them a pithy bumper sticker answer. They just want you to be with them. And this is fundamental to what it means to have a relationship with God. He is a God who is with you. He's with you. Through it all, he's with you. And he, in fact, is someone who is familiar with pain, In fact, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 was looking ahead to who Jesus would be hundreds of years before Jesus would come and wanted to paint a picture of the reality of who this savior, this rescuer, this redeemer would be. And he said these words about Jesus that I think are so interesting. And I want you to pay attention wherever you may be at and whatever your story may be. Listen to how Isaiah chose to describe Jesus in Isaiah 53. He said that he was despised and rejected by mankind that this Savior is a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. But Isaiah goes on to say, surely this one, this suffering Savior, took up our pain and bore our suffering, and through his wounds we are healed. Isn't that amazing? That there's no pain, no loss that you were going through or have gone through that your God does not know about and in fact that Jesus himself hasn't experienced in one way or another. In fact, it would be this Jesus who would face his own rejection, betrayal, being misunderstood, 
People denying they even knew him, who would go on to say towards the end of his life in John 15, he says, look, I want you to understand how this works. This is a relationship that I have with you. And in fact, he said, I don't call you servants. I don't call you slaves because a servant doesn't know what their master is about. Instead, Jesus says, I call you friends. He says, you're my friend. I'm one who's familiar with pain as well. And we actually are friends. In fact, we go on to say that you are actually sons and daughters of a loving God who actually is the one who can redeem your story, who can restore hope, who can renew your mind, who can give you a new story with him. And that really is at the heart of everything we do here at Soul City Church. And maybe you came here today, you don't even know why, or someone dragged you, you came here to meet Jamie, that's awesome. But it's our hope that you would know that, that this God actually knows you and longs to be in a relationship with you, and that's possible today. So we're going to move into a time of response as we close our gathering together. We're going to sing a song that says just what we heard. Pain is real, it's part of this life, but there is a God who actually rescues and brings us into a loving relationship with him. In fact, in him, we actually have a new identity as sons and daughters of God. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you would, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing this song together. And, you know, lots of times when we sing a song together, maybe it's coming from two different places. Maybe for you, it's, you know, your profession. Your profession means this is a thing that you are proclaiming to say is true. And if you know that truth, that you are not a slave to fear or to pain or to your past, then you profess and you sing out, this is true. I'm a child of God. And then there's other times where we need these songs to be our confession, where we say, I don't know, I need that to be true, though. I don't know if I can say I believe it, but I need that to be true. And so we confess, God, God, I long for that to be my truth. And so that's what we're going to do as we sing together over these next few moments. So would you join me in a prayer as we do so? God, thank you for the truth of who you are and what you do. Thank you, Jesus, that you will our suffering Savior, and by your wounds, we actually are healed. You're a Savior who felt. The Bible made that very clear. You expressed and felt the depth of your emotions, joy and peace and pain and sorrow. You brought it all to God, and so we want to bring all of who we are to you. Thank you, God, that you are here and that you are not only with us, but that you are for us. Help us now to step into your presence and to bring our whole heart, broken as it may be, to you. And thank you that in you we find the truth of who we are. We are children of your sons and daughters, sought after by you, rescued and redeemed by you. So as one heart and one voice, we come to you to sing in this moment.